I may have already lost my voice because I was so encouraged by your singing. I just turned my ear and I could hear all your voices. It sounded so amazing. It just made me yell all the more. And then I realized I have to preach. So let's see how this goes. Let's pray together before we begin. Father, we are all like sheep. Without a shepherd, we will wander, we will go astray, we are vulnerable to predators. Help us to trust in your good shepherding. Help us to hear your voice today, the voice of our Lord Jesus, that his sheep we may follow. And God, as we plan to call more elders to shepherd alongside of Jake and me, would you give us wisdom to find men who Speak with the voice of Jesus that your sheep will be kept safe until we enter into the promised green pastures of your heavenly kingdom. Amen. Sheep have gotten a little bit of a bad rap, I think. You may have heard it once or twice spoken that sheep are kind of dumb animals. They chew on anything that's put right in front of their face. They tend to just wander around aimlessly. They can't even tell the difference between a sheep standing next to them and a wolf approaching them, apparently. So it leads them to become an easy lunch. A few years ago, this news spread around the world from Turkey that pastors quickly latched onto for a sermon illustration. The report said, Hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths this week while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 15 meters to their deaths in a ravine in the Van province near Iran. But they broke the fall of another 1,100 sheep who landed on top of them and survived. So the sermon illustration then follows that, boy, sheep are so dumb that they just follow one over the edge of a cliff. And Jesus calls us sheep, so therefore, you're dumb too. Or something like that. But I want to propose to you today that sheep are actually quite smart animals. Sheep are not really that dumb, but they're designed with specific limitations that require guidance from a shepherd. God designed it into them. So I read this week a website on how to raise sheep. If you want to start your own sheep farm, go to sheep101.something, I think. So God designed these sheep with some wonderful survival mechanisms. They have this strong flocking and following instinct. Their best defense is to always stick together. And if there's a threat, to quickly flee from that threat. These are lessons that we could all really learn. In order to reduce their stress and feel at rest grazing in the pasture, there must be at least five sheep, scientists have found, in a group. Otherwise, they start to feel anxious. In addition to these herding behaviors, they have incredibly perceptive senses. Sheep can smell their food and water, something refreshing and nourishing from miles away. And they can sense predators coming before they ever see them. Their eyes the way they're shaped and set in the sides of their heads, they have a field of view over 300 degrees. They can almost see all the way around behind them. And they have hearing that is so incredibly sensitive that they can pick out the distinct differences between every one of your voices. 
even at a whisper. The sheep are incredibly smart animals. They do have some, some weaknesses though because of their, their, the way their eyes are set. They have poor depth perception. So they have a hard time determining if there's a predator right up front or really far away. And because of their really sensitive hearing, loud noises send them scattering and fleeing right away. So they're a little skittish. They tend to get upset easy. But the, comedic tragedy of this Turkish sheep over the cliff story isn't so much a failure of the intelligence of the sheep, but a failure of the leadership of their shepherds who let them wander. Right now at Redemption, we're in the midst of calling more elders to serve alongside Jake and me in leadership of this flock. We've taken nominations from you. We've interviewed some people. And we've spent some time teaching in Sunday school. We've had some separate meetings. We've put in newsletter. What are the roles and responsibilities of an elder in the church? And pretty soon we're going to start an evaluation, a public evaluation process. And we want to give you the opportunity to give feedback and to know who these men are. And we want to prepare you with a, a little sermon series on the calling of an elder. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at this responsibility from a few different perspectives. Leadership, teaching, character, and shepherding. Today we're going to begin with that latter idea. Emphasizing Jesus as the great shepherd of all of our souls. Our main idea that we're focusing on is Jesus is the great shepherd of God's people. He both models and delegates care for His sheep. This church, every church, the church around the world belongs to Christ. We are His sheep. He loves us and provides everything we need to flourish in our designed limitations. And our role as pastors is to imitate that shepherding of Christ in every way possible. The word pastor means shepherd. It's the Latin word for shepherd. So pastors and elders are shepherds imitating Christ loving His sheep, and providing them everything they need to flourish. And so to explore this concept, we're going to spend a little bit more time than normal outside of the text. We read John 10, and try to back up and trace the theme of shepherds from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Cover as much Scripture as possible. So we'll broadly follow the outline of shepherds in the Old Covenant We'll ask who they are, what they did, what they were pointing forward to, and then turn the page and see the shepherds in the New Covenant, how God's people are cared for today. So let's start with those Old Covenant shepherds. In the first six verses of our text, as we see quite regularly in the Gospels, Jesus uses everyday imagery, stuff you're familiar seeing and experiencing, in order to bring out the truth, spiritual truth, in a way people can understand. And shepherds, people saw them everywhere on the countryside. You walk into a village and you see everyone seems to have a sheepfold connected to their house. Everyone knows what shepherds do. And we saw them featured just last week in the Christmas story. Shepherds got to be the first ones to witness the birth of the Messiah. This is quite astounding. Because shepherds are really nobody that important. They're kind of the blue-collar factory workers of their society. No matter where they are, what interaction, you can always tell there's some distinctive feature that lets you know, that guy's a shepherd. 
It's like a mechanic, if you know any mechanics. They always have grease that they just can't get out of their hands. They can't seem to wash the smell of fuel out of their hands, right? Or a farmer, some of you might be familiar with what I'm talking about. It was the same with the shepherds. Always covered in dirt. Always just carrying with them that distinct smell of sheep. But, just like the mechanic, even though their presentation isn't the most socially pleasing, you need some really good ones to make your life go well. The shepherds provided food, clothing for everybody. They provided the thousands of sacrifices that were needed in the temple to point to forgiveness of sins. They needed shepherds. But it was mostly a thankless job that you really didn't realize was a problem until something went wrong. They were often overlooked. The ancient world wasn't really excited about shepherds all the time. You see it way back in Genesis when Joseph was stuck in Egypt. His brothers had sold him into slavery. But through God's providence, he brought was bringing the whole family of Israel down to Egypt in order to survive the famine. There was plenty of food there. And Joseph wanted to find a place for his family to rest. And so he tried to find a place there and said to the Egyptians, can my family come? And there's this little throwaway line, it seems, in Genesis 46-34 that says, every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Egypt, Egypt was a white-collar type of society in that day. Clean, professional, powerful, prosperous. They eat clean vegetables and grains. They don't None of that dirty sheep and shepherd stuff. But even in Israel, there was still this downcast look at shepherds. You see it when Samuel comes to David, or Jesse, to find the next king of Israel. Samuel looks upon the oldest son and goes, wow, that is a king. Tall, strong, handsome. He just presents himself like a king. And God says, no, it's actually the shepherd boy. (laughs) Can't be the shepherd boy, David. He doesn't know anything about taking care of a kingdom. All he does is take care of sheep. Sheep are just kind of useless creatures. What does he know about managing a kingdom? But this, God says, is exactly the kind of man he wants to lead his people. And we see the development of this theme from the beginning of Genesis throughout the story of the Bible. After Adam and Eve had rejected God as their king, God pronounced curses on them, but slipped in some promises in there as well, including the promise to Eve that one day she would have a son who would lead them back, who would crush the head of the serpent and lead them back to the garden. And Eve's rather eager for this to happen. She misses being in the garden, so they quickly get to making a son. She didn't think it would take thousands of years. So they have Abel. Abel is the son in whom she's hoping for restoration. And we don't know much about Abel. We know that his brother killed him prematurely. But what we do know about Abel is that he was a shepherd. He presented his flocks to God as sacrifices that were pleasing to God. But he never had the chance to lead as a shepherd back into the garden. Later on, we see in the lives of the great patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that they too are shepherds. So prosperous as shepherds. They're the richest people in the land. Abraham has thousands of flocks and, and herds that he offers, hands off to his son Isaac. Isaac inherited 
all of his flocks. And he was so successful that the Bible tells us the Philistines envied him. And he handed off these flocks to his son, Jacob. Remember, Jacob won his wife through 14 years of shepherding Laban's sheep. It seemed like the promise of a shepherd redeemer was kind of finally happening, and then it all crashed down again. They ended up in Egypt in utter poverty. They became slaves at the hands of Egyptians who hate shepherds. But God wasn't done with His people. He was raising up a new shepherd for them. Moses, through God's providence, was brought to a prominent place in the kingdom of Egypt. And it seemed like they were ready to lead the people out. Instead, Moses runs away. He wants nothing to do with the responsibility. And he disappears into Midian, marries some unknown Midianite woman, and instead becomes a shepherd who takes care of his father-in-law's sheep. He didn't know it, but he entered into God's training program to lead his people. And while Moses was shepherding God's sheep, or his father-in-law's sheep, he met God in the burning bush. God called him to go back and be a shepherd of his people Israel. And through many miraculous signs and wonders, led them out of Egypt towards the promised land. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness, he was their shepherd. And they finally made it to the promised land and Moses wasn't allowed to go in. So his last plea to God in Numbers 27 to pass the torch on to another, he said, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in. This is shepherding language. That the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd. So. God appoints Joshua. Joshua was a great military commander, led Israel to many powerful victories in in Canaan. But he wasn't really a shepherd. From then on, it seemed like Israel did become a flock of sheep without a shepherd. They rejected God. They turned to idolatry. They married women of foreign nations, leading them away from God. Things had gotten terrible in Israel. Just for one brief moment, there seemed to be hope returning. When David was anointed king, the little shepherd boy exalted to the throne in Jerusalem. Wow, did Israel prosper under his shepherding. He kept the sheep all together. He killed off the neighboring nations, which were predators threatening the flock. The sheep flourished under his leadership. It seemed like the promise to Eve was finally coming true through another shepherd. But it all fell apart when David decided to abuse and use the sheep for his own purposes. He took advantage of the sheep. So God took the kingdom away from him, sending the nation into a downward spiral, leaving little hope that the shepherd king would ever come. And from that point on in the Old Testament, you will not find another single mention of a good shepherd in Israel. There's a deafening silence of godly leadership. Every one of the prophets resounds with the same mantra. Israel is scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Just what Moses feared. Every one of them uses this imagery to condemn kings, priests, false prophets as wicked shepherds who hurt the sheep. And the only hope for those few remaining sheep 
who were faithful to God was to just turn to God and say, you are all we have. Please shepherd us, God. Take care of us. And so in five of the Psalms, we read this heart that God is the shepherd that will guide His people. The most famous we just read to call to start worship. Psalm 23. God will care for His people as their shepherd. But He promises that one day He's still going to send that son of Eve, the son of David, who will shepherd from among them, from within them, leading and walking right in front of them. Micah, in chapter 5, predicts this Messiah who will be born in Bethlehem. And He will stand and shepherd His flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord His God. And they shall dwell secure. The shepherd king is coming. But then there was 400 years of silence. Where is he? The sheep keep scattering. They're getting away. Where's the shepherd? Every generation that passes, there's getting more plucked off. Where is our shepherd God? Then you turn the page. We turn the page to the Gospel of Matthew, to the Gospel of Luke, where we see shepherds welcome in the Messiah. And Jesus, as a grown man, comes and has compassion on Israel. Remember Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. He had compassion on the crowds because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He picked up on this theme from the Old Covenant prophets and said, He is the shepherd who will take care of His people. He's going to shepherd the people Himself and usher in a new era of faithful New Covenant shepherds. And now we get to John chapter 10 where Jesus claims He is that shepherd and He explains to us what kind of shepherd He is. So let me just read, starting in verse ten or 7, some of those verses again. Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves and flees, leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. In the verses coming up to this in chapter 9, right at the end of chapter 9, we see that Jesus isn't addressing specifically His disciples, but He's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were supposed to be the shepherd of God's people, the religious rulers in Israel. And He's lamenting to them here that they have done such a horrible job of shepherding. The sheep are scattered and beaten everywhere. God put them in charge and they have failed. 
They're like hired hands who fled when it got difficult. Or worse, they're wolves and thieves and robbers who use the sheep for themselves. But Jesus, He cares so deeply for the sheep that He is both the door and the shepherd. There is no door stronger than He standing in the doorway saying, I decide who comes in and out of this flock. It's reminiscent of John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. You want to go to the green pastures of God's abundant life in the new creation. You've got to come through Me. And notice how carefully He's making these claims. We've been tracing this idea that God is Israel's faithful shepherd, but He's going to send one day a shepherd to live among them. Clearly, Jesus is that shepherd to live among them, but He doesn't say that He's watching God's sheep on His behalf. He claims the sheep as His own. They are My sheep. I know My own and they know Me. In verses 14-15, to He says, Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, He knows His sheep. They are His. They aren't just God's sheep. They're His sheep because He is God. He is the Good Shepherd of Psalm 23. He fulfills both the hope and the ability of God to shepherd His sheep and the promise to send a shepherd to live among them. Jesus will succeed where every previous shepherd has failed. He knows His sheep. He will take care of His sheep. They know Him by His words. His sheep know His voice. His sheep will come when He speaks. Remember how good a hearing sheep have. They can pick up the subtle differences, the subtle changes in people's voices. They have such excellent hearing that if there were a dozen shepherds standing in front of them, every one of them calling, they won't budge until their shepherd comes, calls them. If you are one of God's sheep here today, you will hear His voice calling among the thousand voices in this world that are competing for your affection. You will follow Him. You will respond to His words in faith, not fear. Because you trust that He's the Good Shepherd who will guide you to green pastures. You'll delight when you hear His words proclaimed because they are the words of life and comfort and rest and security. You don't find comfort and security in your circumstances. But in His words, you rejoice when other sheep are called to join the flock because in greater size of our flock, we have greater security. Jesus cares deeply for His sheep that He protects them. In this story, Jesus speaks about sheep in this pen, in a sheepfold. A sheepfold is an extension of someone's house, often the courtyard, maybe that your house kind of surrounds. You got big stone walls that you build around it, sometimes put briars, thorny bushes on top. There is no way in except for the gate. He will do everything He can to keep His sheep safe. This is kind of the mindset of Matthew 18, verse 22 to 24 talking about the 99 and the 1. He loves His sheep so much, He will do whatever He can to keep them safe. And He'll leave the 99 in the security of the sheepfold and go get that one that somehow wandered away or got tripped up or taken away by a wolf because He loves them. It's a promise that if you are already part of the fold, He will not let you go. 
He will do everything He can to never let you stray from the safety of the flock again. Even to the point of giving His life. This is the type of shepherd that David was. 1 Samuel 17, when he's being called to fight Goliath, he says, I can do this. To protect my sheep, I fought bears and lions. That's incredible. He gave his life in front of bears and lions to protect the sheep, but this only points us to the greater shepherd in Christ who would do the same for his people. Here in John 10, Jesus says five times that he will lay down his life for his sheep. We know what he's talking about. He's predicting his death on the cross to pay for our sins. We see that in hindsight, but can you imagine what that sounded like when he first said it without understanding that what was to come? A guy says he's going to be a shepherd and he's going to lay down his life for his sheep. That's ridiculous. The entire purpose of sheep is to give their lives for the owner. They're constantly sheared to make fabric for clothes. They're killed to eat. They're offered as sacrifices for our sins. Their entire existence is to give their lives for us. And yet Jesus says He loves His sheep. He cares for His sheep. And He will give His life for His sheep. He delights in them. If you are in Christ, no matter how smelly, how offensive you look to the world, how insignificant you seem, You are His sheep and He delights in you. He loves you and He does everything possible to lead you to greater joy in His green pastures. He runs after you when you go astray. He puts you into the safety of a sheepfold, a flock of other sheep who love you. And He gives up His own life to guarantee the abundant life for you. The greatest predator to the sheep in the church, to you as Satan, the world out there, and even your own flesh. All of these things conspire to steal, kill, and destroy. They try to take you away from the sheepfold, enticing you with temptations that there's greener pastures somewhere else. Try to whisper with a voice similar to Christ to say, come, come follow me. But they're secretly traps that lead to death. But Jesus cares for His own. He has made a way to lead His sheep to ultimate joy. Harm will not come to His sheep because He died and rose from the grave to guarantee safe passage through the shadowy valleys, the dangers, toils, and snares to the new creation full of green pastures. And His plan to do that for you is through more sheep like us. Sheep that He's called to be shepherds among the flock. Pastors. Jesus said it would be far better for Him to leave His disciples than to stay among them. Which is kind of a crazy statement, right? Who better to shepherd us than the great shepherd Himself? But He says, I'm going to leave so I can send My Holy Spirit And He's going to fill pastors, shepherds all around the world with His voice, with His words, so that instead of one voice calling out to the sheep, millions of voices will call to the sheep and bring faithful trust to Him. And we see this transition start with the Apostle Peter. 
Just as we've seen in many other instances, Peter seems to be the head, the first one. At the end of John's Gospel, in chapter 21, there's that familiar exchange between Jesus and Peter where he asks him three times, do you love me? And he asks him three times because he denied him three times. So he gives him the chance to reaffirm his love for Christ. And every single time he says, I love you, Jesus says, feed my sheep. Care for my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. Peter is the first hired under-shepherd of the New Covenant. And now it's his job to train many more pastors, shepherds, to help in this monumental task. So they go plant churches all over the place in the book of Acts and appoint elders in each one saying, you have this great task as overseers of these churches. Shepherd Christ's sheep. So Peter writes to them in 1 Peter 5, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock that is among you. Paul says the same thing in Acts 20 as he's passing by Ephesus. He stops and calls the Ephesian elders out to him, exhorts them to Christ-like leadership, telling them, shepherd Christ's sheep. Take care of them as He does. That's what we're calling ourselves to do. This was one of the most convicting sermons I've ever written because it's written towards myself and to Jake and to all who were calling to lead this church alongside of us. So what does faithful shepherding in a church look like? I just want to pull out three practical shepherding guidelines from this text. First, pastors should speak with only the voice of Christ. Pastors need to know deeply and speak carefully the words of Jesus so the sheep will hear and follow. Pastors can't yell at their sheep. Remember, they have sensitive hearing that causes them to flee. Gentle pleading. They can't use their own voice because the sheep don't follow my voice. They follow Jesus' voice. Pastors need to be so saturated in the Word of God that their words are filled with the great shepherd's words. Guide the sheep to green pastures, which are more of God's Word. Lead them to living waters to refresh their soul, which is more of God's Word. God's Word is the primary instrument of faithful shepherds. Second, pastors must erect gospel-centered, gospel-focused barriers to protect the sheep. Listen carefully, this does not mean isolation. We can't erect walls around ourselves to keep the predators out. Oftentimes they're already in among us. We can't keep people away from us who make us uncomfortable and make us a little jumpy and want to flee. Gospel-focused barriers are constant calls to faithfulness to Christ using His words to call us back to Christ. Regular reminders that your safety, your security, are in Christ alone, not in some cleverly devised plans and policies and buildings. The enemy is not always outside the physical barriers. So pastors have this responsibility to be on guard for the wolves among us. Sometimes the sheep might get distracted and wander off. We need to go get them. Pastors have this great responsibility to look after your souls even when you aren't doing it yourselves. 
And the greatest barrier, again, for protecting God's sheep isn't literal walls, but imparting the Word of God to your souls to call you back to Christ. Faith in Christ. Security in Christ. Comfort in His voice. And interestingly, this barrier of calling with God's voice isn't always comfortable for the sheep. It's not pleasant. In the book of Revelation, you might think that shepherding never shows up there. But there is this repeated call or explanation that Jesus is said to rule with a rod of iron. And every time I read that, I imagine Jesus standing with a big fancy crown and royal robes and this big staff that He uses to beat down His enemies. But the Greek word there for rule is shepherd. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is seen as a great shepherd leading His sheep with a big iron staff, which He sometimes needs to use to put us where we belong, right? Remember Psalm 23 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Sometimes faithful pastors need to use God's Word forcefully to make the sheep find their comfort. At times, the sheep are going to panic for fear of a perceived threat. Remember, they can't see if it's near or far. So if they see it far away, they start to get anxious. Or if they hear something, they start to want to flee or might start biting each other or biting their pastor. But pastors have the responsibility to remain calm, not yell at the sheep and scare them further, and gently guide them down through the valleys of the shadows of death, through the difficult parts of life, and back to peaceful trust in the Great Shepherd. Finally, pastors must lead with their own lives. In verses 3 and 4, we see Jesus says the shepherd goes before them to lead them out. The shepherd doesn't stand behind them and bark orders at them. Move on! Come on, sheep! Pushing them. They don't Ancient shepherds don't use sheepdogs like modern shepherds would that are running, barking at their feet and yelling, trying to bite them. It says he leads out front. He smells enough like the sheep because he lives with them. They know his voice, so he walks out front and says, follow me. Follow me through these valleys. Follow me through the perceived threat of predators. Follow me into adding more sheep to this flock. And the greatest way that a pastor leads out front is the same way that Jesus did with his own life. A pastor cares so deeply for his sheep. He denies every other pursuit, every right, every desire in order to protect his sheep, to love his sheep well. He loves His sheep like Jesus does, willing to fight off wolves and any threat, lions and bears, thieves and robbers. The pastor devotes his entire life, day and night, unto death for God's sheep, just as Jesus did. This is the ground of all pastoral ministry. Jesus gave His life for the sheep. He models for us what it means to be a pastor and He delegates to us care of His sheep. Peter wrote in his first letter again in chapter 2, you were like straying sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
faithful pastoring reminds, remembers regularly that Jesus is the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And the author of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 20, reminds his hearers, May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. May every pastor of Redemption City Church humble himself before the Great Shepherd. Love the sheep like the Great Shepherd does. Put Christ in front of us as the Great Shepherd and imitate His life-giving love for all of you so that we can equip you with everything good and pleasing in His sight. So as Peter finishes, when the Chief Shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. God, this is such a great responsibility. How can one sheep lead from out front the others? We desperately need You, God, to provide Your Spirit that we would have wisdom, that we would speak Your words. We would not lead Your sheep off a cliff, but we would lead them to green pastures, to the abundant life, God. Guide us and may we follow. May we seek Your words when we fear, when we have anxiety, when we think the shepherds are leading us into valleys that could hurt us. Help us trust, Father, that You are watching over us by Your great shepherd. In Jesus' name, Amen.